Well, good morning, Seabreeze. We're glad that you're here. Uh, today I'm speaking at Orange Crest Community Church in Riverside, one of the churches that we partner with together here in Southern California. And Alex Barrett, who is the pastor of Church in the Valley Alhambra, is here to speak to you. I've known Alex for about 16 years and uh, have really valued the friendship with Alex. Alex is going to be moving to North Fontana uh, in the coming year to start a new church there in August. And part of our Christmas offering this year is going to go towards uh, helping launch that new church next year. Alex is one of the most uh, encouraging and upbeat people I know. I've seen Alex set aside his own personal desires again and again uh, to do what is helpful to advance the kingdom of God. And so I'm really excited to see what God might do through this new church that uh, Alex is going to be starting this next year. I encourage you to listen to what Alex has to say this morning. His gifting and his abilities have been a tremendous blessing to me and to this church. So let's uh, welcome Alex as he comes up on stage. Good morning. Like Bevan said, uh, I, I kind of want to talk to him like, hey, Bevan, and I realize, oh, it's a video. It's like not, it's not a satellite feed, just in case you're wondering. Uh, but it's, it's a pleasure to be here. It's really an honor to speak uh, to all of you today. Uh, my name is Alex Barrett. Like Bevan said, I'm the campus pastor of Church in the Valley Alhambra. Uh, we started that church almost five years ago uh, towards Los Angeles, and it, we're a part of Church in the Valley Diamond Bar. And you, if you were here, uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago, Pastor Randy spoke uh, from Church in the Valley. And Church in the Valley Diamond Bar has existed for 30 years and Church in the Valley Alhambra has existed for five, and I've been a part of Church in the Valley for 16 of those years, and the last adventure being uh, Church in the Valley uh, in Alhambra. And so Alhambra is about eight miles outside of downtown Los Angeles. A couple weeks ago, I was in Fort Worth, Texas, and I asked the three services there how many of them have heard of Alhambra, and it was amazing. I probably on two hands could count the amount of people who knew where Alhambra was, but how many of you guys know Alhambra? Like, okay, there we go. So in Texas, I just said, have you heard of Los Angeles? And they said, yes. And I said, it's near there. And so in case you've not known, it's near, uh, it's near LA. And so I want to tell you a little bit about myself before we dig into the, the message specifically talking about the power of teaming. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Samantha, for over 15 years. There's a picture of us uh, up there. We met freshman year at California Baptist University in math class, and by the grace of God, my wife felt sorry for me because I am terrible at math. And so her and a friend had a study group, and she invited me to be a part of that study group. And over time, in the humbling existence of my math skills, a romance started. So if you struggle in any subject and you're sing, no, just kidding. Just, just ignore that. Uh, we have three kids. Uh, you'll see a picture up there as well, Katie, Levi, and Jude. Uh, if there are balloons, we're going to grab them and we're going to smile, okay? That's what our family does. This is Easter uh, last year. Katie is 11, Levi is 8, and Jude is 6, and they're, they're a blessing uh, to parent, and we, we've been blessed by God as a, as a family. And so today, I'm going to talk about specifically things that God will do in your life uh, through a team. And certainly the family and our family is a team. And if you're a part of a family, you're a team. And if you're part of this church and you've been coming here for a while, God wants you to be a part of, of that team. And in Church of the and Alhambra, we're, we're a team as well. But since so many of you probably have never been there before, we wanted to show just a video of kind of what happens on a Sunday so you can kind of see as the people in Alhambra see as well. So watch this uh, together. So that's a little snapshot of, of our church 
And we really exist to help people come to know Jesus Christ. That's ultimate the mission of any Christian. That's the mission of, of any church. But there's so many things that happen in life where you have to kind of take a step back and see the, the bigger picture. And so our hope in this series is to allow everyone in the network churches of the 17.6 network to get kind of a, a bigger glimpse and kind of pull back the curtain and get everyone a chance to see what we are a part of. And so we've been talking about teaming together and the things that happen when people choose to do that in their lives. And then when people choose to do that as they're a part of churches and as churches partner together. And so the mission that God's given us is, is great. And so the backdrop of this teaming is really the mission of God. But I want to kind of just take a few moments to define teaming. Because oftentimes for us, especially if you've grown up in the United States and a part of like the Western Christianity even, so much of life is about being an individual, right? Like we love our independence. We love being an individual. And oftentimes when we think about teaming, it's usually a picture of, okay, I have my life and then I come together and I have like a group project in school and I'll team with that group of people or I have a business meeting at work and I'll team with that group of people. And the picture looks like this. You know, you're all put together, you're all polished in your best attire and you meet around a table and you team together by sharing ideas. But the teaming that you find in scripture is not teaming by the sharing of ideas, but it's the teaming by the sharing of life. You actually share life together and you do something together that God has called us to do. And so the picture is actually different than this. It's actually more of a military picture of teaming. My dad is an Air Force veteran. He retired from the military in 1998. So I'm an Air Force kid. I traveled a lot throughout my life. My mom is British. And so I've lived in lots of different places. But in my life, one thing I've seen through my military experience just as a kid is, is how the military really try to nail again and again this concept of team. And so the picture of teaming in the scriptures is a lot like this picture. And if I were to ask you, which picture would you rather see yourself in? Some of you guys are gonna be like, this is it. And then others are like, seriously? Like I value showers, okay? But in the highest level of military service and special forces and things like this and like the Navy SEALs, one of the main reasons they nail this idea of teaming into your life is that you are assigned a swim buddy. And a swim buddy is somebody that goes wherever you go, literally. And you go wherever they go. And the idea is that you realize that you're part of something bigger than yourselves. And so to team is so much more than ideas. It's the sharing of life. It's really this picture of being in the trenches. So after the service, we're going to just turn the hose on on the nearest grass. Who's in, right? But I, I, want you to, I want you to have this because it's active. It's engaging. And actually, teaming is dirty because ministry is messy. Do you know why? Because our lives are messy. So we talk about teaming this is the picture, entering into life with other people, shoulder to shoulder, to move the mission forward in the midst of the mess. And the great thing about teaming with the Lord Jesus is that despite the mess, he still uses us. And that's the greatest news, because we don't have to be perfect. We actually have to show up. And if we show up and we commit our way to God, 
he will use us. And so the definition of a commando teaming is this, and I just want to use this as your reference to kind of set the right picture. Commandos team for a mission greater than themselves individually and collectively. As an individual, you have your swim buddy, you have your unit. You exist within that. You do not exist just for yourself, your own goals, your own ambitions. Commandos know that. That's what separates the highest level of team. Commando's definition of teamwork, selfless acts towards a common goal. In our network churches, we, we live by the hard attitudes. Hard attitude number one, put the goals and interests of others above my own, right? Commandos get that. The reason we put each other in front is because the mission God's called us to. It's bigger than myself. And then commandos, they don't accomplish the mission alone. If you accomplish something, but you do it alone, you have not accomplished anything. This is what the highest level of the military believe. If you get ahead and you gain an advantage, but you do it at the cost of your swim buddy, at the cost of your unit, at the cost of the greater military and the purpose of it, you've not gone anywhere. And so many times we need to revision our picture of teaming because we're so independent. We're so individual. We prize ourselves in pulling up our bootstraps, right? We're self-made, and we take pride in it. But to team, you actually have to push past that picture. But that independence starts early. How many of you coach, anyone coach like your, your kid's AYSO soccer team? Anyone? So for the six of you, I'm talking to you, okay? Uh, Anytime you coach youth soccer, you're you're really trying to teach them about team. And my son is six, and I've coached all my kids, and yesterday was his last game of the season. And it's amazing over the course of the season the things that I found myself saying as I'm coaching. Things like this. Don't steal the ball. He's on your team. But the thought, like when you're that age, man, you have a just like a radar on that ball and wherever it goes, you go. If his jersey looks like your jersey, he's got the ball. I need the ball, right? So I found myself, just don't don't steal it. He's on your team. I'm like, listen to myself. Or one of my favorites, like, don't block his shot. Like they just think like, hey, I'm gonna stand right in front of you and see if you can get it past me. No. Don't do that. And then towards the end, you realize, like, it doesn't matter what I say. I just, you know, go get the orange slices, okay? That's why we're all here. Get the snacks. And then my favorite is, play. And the kid is over two field. He's not even on the right field, right? We don't have to learn to be independent. It's in us. If somebody has something, we want it most of the time. And as adults, we're not that far removed from that perspective, right? Somebody has something and we want it and we're willing to take it. We want to get ahead. So we forget those around us to do it. But to team means you have to move past that native independence that we have that native tendency for us to put me first. And so the key question of teaming in your life, in your family, at your job, 
at Seabreeze Church and the mission that God has given you is this. Here's the key question. Will I push past me first to be a part of something greater than myself? That's the question I want you to just keep right there in your brain for the rest of my time today. Will I push past me first to be a part of something greater than myself? If you push past me first, there is a cost to you. The cost is you can't be first. But the gain is you get to be a part of something bigger than yourself. But when I wake up, two words I'm thinking about. Me. First. It's okay. It, you know, it take, we warm up a little, you know. Two words I think about. Me. Good job, guys. This, you know. Me first. That's what I usually think about, right? How many of you can't really start your day without like a cup of coffee? It got real right there, right? Like everyone's like, I'm not even here without that, you know? But I'm usually thinking like, okay, I, my alarm's got off. I got to actually get out of bed now. I got to get my cup of coffee right now. Nobody get in my way. And then usually it's like, okay, I got I to get my food. I got to eat because I'm, I'm hungry. Oh, man, I'm just nobody get in my way, right? I got to get to work. Hopefully there's not going to be traffic because I got to get to work. And I got all these things on my to-do list, and I hope I can get it all done. And then I start to think about the people around me. And am I thinking teaming? No, it's usually like, he can help me with my goal. She can help me with my goal. They can help me with my goal. Yay! You know. The problem is they think the same thing. So that's when we have issues. That's where conflict comes from. And so this is, this is the battle. Will I push past me first? Do, part of, do be a part of something greater than myself. If you do, and if you do what we've been talking about in this series, this, this idea of shoulder to shoulder, life to life, moving the mission forward, you'll be a part of the greatest adventure you've ever experienced. That's what Christianity is. And so if you're investigating Christianity, you're trying to figure out if following Jesus is real, if it actually changes people, I want you to realize that that is not just an individual decision. It is. God will lead you. He's calling you to himself. But as you do that, you enter in a team greater than just you and Jesus. He calls you to be a part of something bigger to change the world. And it's the greatest adventure you could ever experience. So that's the picture. Now, I want to shift gears. If we do that, if we push past me first, be a part of something greater than myself, there's three ways God will bring and pour power into your life. Okay, the first one is you will experience and receive the power of clarity in your life. If I were to survey this room and ask how many of you would value clarity how many of you would raise your hand? How many of you would like to know the path you're on and the twists and the turns and how to move forward, right? All of us value clarity. We want to know how to move forward. Nobody wants to get stuck. Nobody wants the fog, the blind spots. We all want clarity. Did you know that clarity happens as you team with others? The way it happens is oftentimes not how we think. You get clarity in your life as you follow leaders over you. That's where it gets real, right? Who wants clarity? I do. How many of you love to follow leaders? 
We want the clarity, but sometimes following those leading us is so difficult. But when you follow leaders in your life, whether it's in the home, even at work, but especially in the church, you actually gain direction. Why? Because leaders are going before you to clear the path of moving forward in the mission. When you're part of the church, you're led by godly man, Bevan. And he's setting the pace for Seabreeze. And he's leading Seabreeze forward into the future to try to reach people on Huntington Beach. And there's staff and leaders who are leading the way forward to move the mission forward to reach people on Huntington Beach and the greater area. But the picture of this is not just like this nice park stroll on this clear path with the birds chirping. The mission that God's given us, we have an enemy in Satan who wants to thwart the mission, wants to come against us. And the path is not this park walk, it's a jungle walk. And you'll see a picture up here. When people ask you how you're doing, isn't that usually what comes to your mind? How are you? Well, if you're speaking about jungles, I'm fantastic. This is life. There's vines, there's obstacles. You can't see the path forward. But what God does in life, and this is reality, he has put authority in place to clear the path for the followers. So Bevan, with his machete, wouldn't that be awesome? Like pastors, like up on state, like, don't tell him, like, I said that. But, but it's this idea of the, the leaders above you, they, they have the machete and they're, they're clearing the path. They're moving forward. They're cutting the brush, the vines, and the followers, as they follow well, can get further down the path because the leaders have set the pace. That's actually the picture you see again and again in Scripture. God leads the leaders. The followers follow the leaders, and the mission moves forward. I want to share a Scripture of this specifically in the life of Paul. If you've been to church like just a few weeks, it seems like people like me talk about Paul a lot. Well, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. In fact, Paul is a huge part of the spread of Christianity. In fact, we stand on the shoulders of Paul. He's gone before us. And so oftentimes, if you're going to talk about the New Testament and God's work and the spread of Christianity, you talk about Paul because he was a catalyst in that. But Paul was a team player. He was a revolutionary but he was not independent. God used him, but he was not just an individual by himself. And there's this place in which God is leading Paul and giving him a vision to start new churches and to go reach people into places they've never been reached. And he has a team that goes with him. And I want to read this scripture and see what God did to Paul and then what it did to the, to the team. And you see this in Acts 16, 9 through 10. And it says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Who did the vision go to? Paul. The vision went to him. Notice the pronoun, him. But then as the verse goes on, immediately we sought. 
to go on into Macedonia, that concluding that God had called us to preach. How many of them got the vision? Just one. Now on this team, there's Timothy, Luke, and Silas. And honestly, if they're kind of from this day and age, wouldn't they hear Paul say the vision they'd be given and wouldn't the native tendency be like, where's my, where's my vision? Right? Well, like I, I was a little restless last night. Maybe that was God speaking. But it's clear. The vision came to Paul, came to him. And they went. Paul was leading on the path, cutting the jungle. And they followed him. That is such a beautiful picture. But so many times we want just this independence where we just can kind of be off on our own, outside of authority, doing our own thing, blazing our own trail. And when you look at this jungle, there's a path like, well, that's the path, but I want to go this way. You can, but if you go outside of the leaders over you, you are blazing a trail by yourself. And it'd be like this trailblazer. It sounds so awesome, but you actually don't have the help and the protection of God. And you will wear yourself down. And you'll be left on the path by yourself. So I want to encourage you, if you want the power of clarity, follow well. Follow the leaders of this church. They're leading you as they seek the Lord. Does God still lead you? Yes. Does he speak to you? Yes. Does he want you to follow leaders? Oh, man, right? All of those are true. But clarity comes. This has been, been true in, in my own life. I stand on the shoulders that have gone, people that have gone before me. There's a picture of the, the pastors of the 17.6 Network. Many of you know the man in the middle, Harold Bullock. I know he's been here to speak before, and he's a blessing to our network. He's the founder of the network. He started Hope Church almost 40 years ago. And what Harold has done in the creation of the heart attitudes and shaping values and starting churches and training men that they could start churches and sending missionaries throughout the world, we stand on the shoulders of men like this. We have an opportunity, a part of this network, to rally behind to move the mission forward. I am who I am because of those that have gone before me. God wants to use you in specific ways. He wants to use me in specific ways. But clarity comes as you follow the leaders over you. So follow well. And if you're leading, lead well. Cut the jungle so people behind you can be blessed by the way that you serve them. So that's the first power, the power of clarity that comes when you team. The second power that you can receive is the power of endurance. Again, survey. How many of you would like to stand under the pressures of your life and not be crushed? Right? Survey says 100%. All of us want endurance. But did you know that the way God has wired endurance into life, again, you're not meant to endure alone. And I know that there's people in this room right now, you are facing some terrible, difficult things. Things that are beyond you. And deep within you, you're facing some fears, some obstacles, and you feel like you're drowning. I want to encourage you. Do not struggle 
alone. God wants to help you, but he cannot help you in your isolation. Oftentimes what happens when we face really difficult things, we pull back from people. This is what I call isolation strategies. This is the group. This is the people. And we're here, and then things get difficult. And what do we do? How are you? I'm doing great. Good to, good to see you. I'm, thank you. Yeah, good to see you again. And we just kind of move back further and further into the darkness, pull away from people. Because oftentimes what happens when we face difficult things, we actually don't want to let people know we're struggling. Because if we're struggling, then we're not as independent as we appear. It goes back to that same struggle. But we do not stand under pressure alone. We stand under pressure with a group of people. People that have gone before us, people that are with us, that God wants to bring into our life. So the first isolation strategy is just we pull back. Things get difficult. We pull away instead of pulling toward. The second is we pinpoint one person. And instead of teaming, we look at the one person that's going to save us from our problems. It could be a parent. It could be a spouse. It could be your kids. But there's somebody that we usually think, they're the ones to help me. And we take our problems and we just go up to people and how are you? I'm great. And they're just like, thanks for that, you know? And we crush them because one person can't handle our stuff, our issues. It's a team of people. It's a community of faith. It's the church. And then when we crush those that we unload on, it reinforces the premise that we're alone. And then we pull back further. You see that same, same ending. They didn't help me. I'm not going to do that again. And so we pull back. There's a different picture, again, from the life of Paul a little bit later. As they're being led by God and sharing the vision and leading people to Christ, the spread of Christianity is starting. And what's happening is the established leaders and rulers of the religions are looking around and seeing there are some tremors in the normative culture, and we have to squelch this. They're sharing about Jesus, the one who was crucified, who was buried, and who rose again. And people are believing in him, and their lives are changed, and the movement is starting to build, and, and they wanted to squelch it. So what did they do? Well, they threw the leaders in jail. So Paul and Silas, they decide this teaching has to stop. We are going to silence them. We're going to shut them down. And then in Acts 16, 25, a little bit later, you find this account. After midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I don't know about you, but sometimes I read the scriptures and maybe if you spend time reading the, the word of God in the morning or maybe you do that at night and you read things like this and you're like, okay, in prison, singing hymns. Man, this coffee's good. Like what kind is that? You know, and it, and it doesn't resonate like what's happening in the life of the people that we're reading about. Now, I've never done time. 
but I'm pretty sure on my way to the jail cell, I'm not thinking, what like praise song should I like sing? Right? I'm thinking, will they feed me? Are there bathrooms? Does my family know I'm here? Will I ever get out? That's what I'm thinking. But the picture of what's happening as God's leading Paul and this team is around him, as you could just see Paul getting ready to get into the cell and looking at Silas and like with that that head shake of, we have an opportunity. We get to share with people who are shackled, without peace, without hope, who have no future. We get to share with them the difference that Jesus makes. And then just hit the tuning for them. Blessed be the name. You know, that wasn't the song. Don't like Google that, but I just made that up. However, that's the picture. And you could just see Paul like, we have an opportunity. And if I'm Silas, I'm like, dude, this guy is crazy. Like he never gives, he's relentless. Like, can I just have a moment of just despair? You could just see Paul's like, no, man, we got to sing. And in that moment, both of them singing together this praise to Jesus and the beautiful picture of those prisoners thinking like, that's new. <laughs> Never seen that before. Usually people are crying, but not out to God, right? So in that moment, Silas was strengthened by Paul and Paul was strengthened by Silas and they received endurance. I've seen this, men in my own life, who've gone before facing difficult things and in the midst of the pressure, they've stood under it knowing God will help them. In fact, recently I I had that experience with Pastor Bevan. I was at a summit in May on Memorial Day weekend with the Antioch Project, a, a training that we do, a part of the 17.6 Network. And Bevan was leading a, a session on, is the Lord enough? And he had a panel of men who were sharing about how God has provided and come through for them in their life. And then Bevan shared kind of the last part in his own story and how God has provided again and again, and just certain things that you have to believe are true, that God will take care of you no matter what you face and that the Lord is enough. So he wrapped up and we were all greatly encouraged. Later in that moment, he received a phone call from his wife, Rebecca. And Andrea, his daughter, who was nine months pregnant, was experiencing some complication. We're heading to the ER. And Bevan was in New Mexico, and his family were here, heading to the ER with really life in the balance. And Bevan came after the phone call, after he had just shared, is the Lord enough? And he came to us, and in front of us, shared. And he said, I am really scared but the Lord is enough. And as a group of men, we begin to pray for the whole family. Turns out everyone is okay. They, they have a baby now. A beautiful family has grown. But in that moment, all I got to see and experience was this endurance. He did not bail. He did not get crushed. And because he chose to do that, and he did it in front of us. And he shared what was really going on all around the room. You saw man after man filled with courage. Because if he's facing that, we can face what we face and not be crushed.
Because he trusts God, I can trust God. That's what God does. That's the power of endurance. So I encourage you, when you face things, pull towards people. Pull towards people in this church. Get to know people so when you do face something, you have a name and a life that you can turn to. God will use that to bless your life. The last power God wants to bring is the power of synergy. He brings us clarity as we follow leaders. He brings us endurance as we pull in towards a group of people. And then he brings us synergy. Can you guys do me a favor? Every time I say the word synergy, I just, I need to do this, okay? This is, you guys just do that. It's not rhetorical. Go, synergy. You can even say synergy. Okay, that'll be the last time I do that. Maybe, okay? Just wait for it, all right? Here's the definition of synergy. This is one of my favorite words. Synergy, the combined power of a group of things when they're working together that is greater than the total power achieved by each working separately. Anytime you read like a dictionary and you're like, I think I'm further confused. Sometimes you read that and that's, that's a lot of words. But the idea is like individual component parts are not as strong as when those individual component parts come together and are part of something bigger. They, they form something else. Synergy. That's what God wants to do in the church. He wants individual lives to pull together with the people of the local church and community here at Seabreeze to be a part of something bigger than yourself. He wants Seabreeze to pull together with other churches to be a part of something bigger than Seabreeze, bigger than Church in the Valley Alhambra, bigger than Orange Crest Community Church, bigger than Hope Church, bigger than just our American Christian church. Synergy. By ourselves, we can only accomplish something small. But as we pull with a group of people, we can change the world and be a part of the greatest adventure we could ever experience. On the backside of your listening outline is just a run-through of teeming in the New Testament, some passages that you can find in the life of Paul. And this is really the spread of Christianity. One of your next steps today is before the end of 2017, read through the book of Acts. If you want to see teeming and synergy and endurance and clarity, read that. And you just see this group of people that God used to change the world. So I encourage you to, to take that. But I just want to briefly just walk through how this looked in the New Testament. Began in the Antioch ministry team. The team's primary pur- purpose was to lead and build up the church. They ordained Paul and Barnabas for their first missionary journey. There was a core team of five. Their goal is, let's, let's go out, tell people about Jesus. Let's share with them the difference that he makes in a life. Let's connect the dot that the peace that they're looking for, the hope that they're looking for, can't be found in any other person, status, thing, goal, ambition. Let's point them all towards Jesus. And they went out to do it. In a world where Christians were being killed for their faith. And they teamed together to accomplish something greater than themselves. Paul's first missionary team, you see in Acts 13, there was a core team of three, Paul, Barnabas, from the previous team. So God's building this team together, and they're starting churches. And then from this church, a community is established. And they're sending people from this community to get other churches started, and it's spreading. Paul's second missionary team, now a core team of six. Paul is the only remaining one from those previous teams. So five more people are coming together to start churches. They want to go back to the church as they started in the first missionary journey. And then they want to get to Asia Minor and, Lord willing, get to Europe. 
and then Paul's third missionary team, Macedonia and Greece, to visit the churches there and eventually bring a collection to Jerusalem to keep the work going. Core team of nine, Paul, Timothy, and Luke from the previous teams. So what's happening is because people realize that their life is bigger than just me first, they're a part of the spread of Christianity, and we're here today because of what they did. And they did it in a team. And God used them to change the world. If you ever read in, in the New Testament, you find Paul again and again pointing to his team. Usually in the letters that he writes to the churches that he starts, they're the name for like the, the city and the different places. But oftentimes in the beginning of those letters, he greets them. How many of you skip the greetings? Anyone, if you read them, like, you usually want to get to verse four in the beginning of a book because the first three are like these names that you can't pronounce, Right? But those names represent the teams. So just give it a hack. He's like, sneeze, and it may be a name, right? But the, what Paul's saying is, I'm not a lone ranger. I'm not an individual revolutionary. I'm not a trailblazer. I'm a man doing what God's told me to do with a group of people. And those greetings represent that. But in Romans 16, he pull back, pulls back the curtain, and he specifically in one chapter lets us in on his team. He gives us this greater picture. It's not just a greeting in the beginning of the letter. It's a chapter where he just specifically mentions 29 different people. This is the team. This is who I'm a part of. And he uses words like this, sister, servant, patron, beloved, kinsman, fellow prisoners. Now that, that's only for a select few. Goes back to that time in jail, right? So he's like greeting, like you get the greetings, like you're my sister, and then he's fellow prisoner. For all of you that have done time, I greet you. Only, spe- only the ones with the street cred greet that one, okay? But it's not just if they've spent time in jail. It's that people who've been thrown in jail for doing what Jesus told them to do. I greet you, my fellow prisoners. He describes people as mother, brother, host, but his favorite description in Romans chapter 16 is fellow worker. I want to just focus on that briefly. Romans 16, 3 and 4. Greek, still and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Romans 16, 9. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And then Romans 16, 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. And then he lists more people. Fellow worker comes from the original Greek word, synergio. Synergio. Sounds familiar. (laughs) Sounds like. I told you I'd come back to that. (laughs) Synergy. It's in the scripture, a group of people, fellow workers. Synergio is defined as to work together, to help and work, be partner in labor, to put forth power together with and thereby to assist Again, shoulder to shoulder, in the trenches, you assisting me, I assisting you, enduring together, clarity as we follow, clarity as we lead, individual parts coming together as one. That's the picture of teaming. And that's what we get to be a part of here in Southern California. As of 2016, there's 23.8 million people in Southern California. 23.8. 
And of those millions, so many of those millions don't yet know Jesus Christ. We have tremendous opportunity to team together in our network to reach those people. God wants Seabreeze Church to reach a chunk, and you guys are. God wants OCC to reach a chunk, and they are. God wants Church in the Valley to reach a chunk, and they are. But we have to continue working together, seeking a bigger picture of the mission that God's given us. And in closing, I just want to share a little bit of the story that Bevan shared about us wanting to plant a church. About seven years ago, I sensed God telling me to, to start a church. And of course, I, I, moving forward and getting feedback and seeking the Lord to see, like, what is this going to look like? How is this going to work? But as I sought those around me and as I sought the Lord, it seemed like God was really in it. And so next summer, my family and I are going to move from Alhambra to North Fontana above the 210 freeway. That's the Inland Empire. That's the area I call the places in which you may not go. <laughs> right, like, right? Oh, see, like, there's like a barrier, like, what is that? That's the Inland Empire, okay? There's a lot of people that don't know Jesus, and they're all moving in that area because of affordable housing, to be a part of something new, a new community. And so next summer, we're gonna leave to start this new work. And we're going to do it as a team. And Lord willing, a launch team is going to go with us. And we're going to go shoulder to shoulder. And you guys are a part of that. Because we're fellow workers together. So I'd appreciate your prayers. There's some pictures here. The first picture is just, uh, North Fontana is right up against Mount Baldy. And then the next picture is just new homes that are being built all in the area. And then the last picture is construction that's being done. The focus isn't on the new homes, but it's the people that will live in them. Because as they're going there, they're looking for a new community. They're looking for a new house, thinking that that's going to bring them what they want. But as we know, without Jesus, you actually don't get what you want and what you need and what you long for. That comes in relationship with Jesus Christ. So as fellow workers, pray for us. We'd appreciate the prayers. And keep doing what you're doing here at Seabreeze Church. As I close, I, I just want to end with a few next steps. If you've been around Seabreeze for a while, many times you can approach church like you do testing the water of the ocean. And you know, if you want to know how cold the ocean is, what do you do? You walk in, right? And you stick your toe in and you think, no, no, I'm not going to do it. It's too cold. Many people approach church like that. They come and they're like, how's church? It's great. What's the water like? Awesome. My big toe loves it. Is that an experience? Have you been swimming in the ocean if you've towed it? No. God wants you to wade in to church life, not to tow church life. And so if you've been here a little bit of time or a long time, your experience has to move past this. And you have to wade in. You have to pull into a group of people. You actually have to sacrifice me first. You have to give up your time, your resources, because it's bigger than yourself. So I encourage you, if you're towing it, go ankle in. If you're in your ankles, wade up to your knees. And if you're in the water all the way and you're like, Alex, dude, I am drowning 
God will provide for you for the way you're sacrificing to move the mission forward here. And your life becomes a testimony of endurance as you do it. So thank God for the team here at Seabreeze Church. For what you get to be a part of, it's so much greater than yourself. And then the other next step, like I mentioned, read through the book of Acts by the end of the year. Just ask God to speak to you. God, as I read this, help me to be a part of this movement far greater than myself. Show me things that I need to do to pull toward the team. And then as you're facing hard things in your life, ask God to show you isolation strategies that you have. We all know what we do. We all know the games that we play. But if you come before God and you say, God, I want to pull towards this church. Will you give me the courage to share what's really going on? If you're in the darkness and you're pulled away, there's no life there. Allow God to pull you forward. Take a risk. Invest in people in this church. And God will use that. And he will use you in the life of others as you pull in. So I encourage you, take one of those next steps. I'm going to pray. Before I do that, thank you for being so attentive. It's been an honor speaking to you all today. And it really is a pleasure to network with you guys. So I'll be praying for Seabreeze Church as well. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for all the faces that represent changed lives, people who've experienced it, and people who haven't even experienced fully following you yet. God, will you soften their hearts to receive the grace that you want to pour out to their life? So I pray for anyone who's not yet decided to follow you that today they'll decide to do that. I ask for people that are isolating themselves and pulling away that you'll give them the courage to pull in, pull towards those around them. And God, I ask that you'll give us endurance and clarity and synergy as we follow you. Thank you for the power that you give us. We cannot do it alone. So thank you for calling us to something far greater than ourselves. And thank you for leading us as our heavenly father. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.